My name is Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phelan McAleer. Welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. It is February 2022. It's week 99 of the two weeks to flatten the curve lockdown. Ah, it's going to be 100 weeks soon. Very, very, very soon. And 100 weeks since the government And by the way, the very funny thing this last couple of days that we discovered, I think this is so funny, and we've had this with a load of people, by the way, there is a mask mandate outdoors in Los Angeles An County. Outdoor, outdoor mask mandate. None of us knew it. In LA County. None of us knew it. But we just recently, I don't know who it was, explained it to us. But anyway, there is a mask mandate outdoors in Los Angeles. And just to experience, tell people, LA County is not like, you know, Travis County, whatever, or this. LA County incorporates. The most it's the biggest populated county, county in America. In the world. Like it's, it's, I think it's got 15 million or 8 million people. I think there might be a county in China now that might have an awful lot of people in it for them. Do you know, given the fact that they've got like 1.5 billion people living there or some shit. But anyway, here's oh. the thing. And there's a cat, by the way. That's Mr. Top Cat. Who, if you can see him there, he's not limping noticeably. Did you see that? Let me make sure he doesn't drink your water. That's, a, that's old water, so you can have that. But he's not limping considerably. But um, I, I just, just to talk about the mask mandate, we want to show you three photographs that tell you everything you need to know about masking and the science behind masking. Here's the three photographs. The first two are from LA County, by the way. Uh, Here is our, our, our governor, our governor, uh, Gavin Newsom. Yes. And there's our governor, Gavin Newsom, and there he is with Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson, who I think has some comorbidities. Just going out on a limb on that one. And can, I just, our, can I just check? I don't want to uh, slur someone. Well, I just I just say, no, I'm just saying yeah. he's got rather got a bit of weight there. I think he has a little bit of weight there. And then we also have Mayor Garcetti. Check okay, can me. I just say something about Magic Johnson? Yes. Right. Magic Johnson, yes, he's HIV positive. And he's HIV positive. So his immune system is compromised. No doubt heck, about it. Right? Plus, you know, as we see, I think he's much, a lar- what, what, what one would say delicately, is a larger gentleman. But yes. also moving on, just quickly... This is, we haven't even got to the teasers yet. There we also have um, Mayor Eric Garcetti, who is about to be um, the ambassador to India. And I feel I made a very good point because when people pointed out that Mayor Garcetti was not wearing a mask, uh, he said he was holding his breath when the photograph has been taken. Doesn't look like he's holding his breath there. And Phelan, what did you say to that? Holding your breath would be very useful uh, when you go to India. Boom, boom. Now behave yourself. Although, in my defence, when he was appointed or nominated to be ambassador for India, I did tweet going, imagine being in a city full of beggars, homeless and awful smells, and then being appointed uh, ambassador to India. Boom. Boom, boom. Because, by the way, there's, there's probably more typhoid in downtown L.A., Thanks to America, Seti, than there is in India. It's, yeah, uh, it's, it's true. It's true. So, so I said, by the way, I said it just when I, just when I was introducing this section, I did mention that there was uh, the science of masking in three photographs. So here's the third photograph, and here we have Stacey Abrams. Um, and just to say about this photograph, so this is a photograph of her. Um, you know, really, it it almost this is this is a kind of photograph that Jack you don't it doesn't need a caption, uh, but I will point out again, just you know, just for anyone who didn't notice, she might have a couple of comorbidities there, but I I my my caption I put this out on Twitter and my caption on this photograph was privilege, and for those of you who are listening rather than watching, this is Stacey Abrams in a classroom full of children. Little, little children, all of whom are wearing masks. The teachers in the background are all wearing masks. And Stacey Abrams is not wearing a mask. And she's sitting right plonk in the middle of them. And plonk is the, is the appropriate word. Oh, and I think, ouch. you know, we, we in the past, we've described, we've talked about the hypocrisy. But talking to Magda this morning, it's actually, f- the, the important point of this is they don't believe the so-called science. Yes, yes. You know? Yes, they, if she believed 
what she is. And she's, by the way, she is a complete mask um, zealot. Like yes. she is constantly pushing masks. So it's kind of, it's quite interesting. But if she believed it, she wouldn't put herself in that position. And the same with Garcetti, the same with... But so even the CDC don't believe it. I mean, I'll, I'll put the headline up now, but there's a story there where the CDC were recommending not mask mandates in the classroom and then the teachers' union got on to the White House and the White House got on to the CDC and the emails are there and they changed their scientific recommendation following pressure from the teachers' union. So this is this is not science. This is politics and this is dirty politics. Yeah. We'll, we have another example of something very similar to this later on in the show, but tell us what else we're dealing with today, Philem. Well, we're going to talk about Joe Rogan and Whoopi Goldberg. Um, and you mean Karen Johnson? Sorry, I mean Whoopi Goldberg. Karen Johnson. Yes. Karen with a C. Oh, she's not Karen with a K then. Funny enough, she's Karen with a C, Karen Johnson. I think that's, I just think that that is hysterical. I never knew she had changed her name until this all happened. Anyway, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about in a minute. Also, Planned Parenthood are getting very, very worried about SCOTUS. And they're doing everything they can to keep their industry alive. Including spending a lot of money. Including spending a lot of money. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Um, and uh, you may know him from Five for Fighting, but uh, but later on, and le- but we know him because he wrote the beautiful song for our, our Gosnell movie. Later on, you're going to be talking to, to John, John Drastic. Uh, I you're gonna you're gonna interview him uh, immediately after this. We're gonna slip it in to yes. the show. But I am actually dashing off after this show because I have to go to DC and Philadelphia for a top secret project. Top secret project. Boom boom. More of that coming up. More very coming very up. soon. Yeah. And climate change liars at the New York Times. We got two stories from the New York Times about climate. Yeah. Uh, one about liars and one about the fact that... These uh, liars are making people crazy. Yeah, and they, exactly. And they can't work out why it's, they're making it crazy. That's a good one. And Ireland of the welcomes? Not really. Oh, my God. My country. And we have a movie recommendation. We went to see a movie yesterday that we would recommend to you, highly recommend to you. And we have not a recipe this week, but we have... Um, we're going to do the same thing that we did with the lobster. We're, we have a lemon issue, and we'd like some suggestions of what I, I, to do I know, with them. I know what you could do. Oh, no, don't say that. Don't I know. That. If you've got lemons, no, I know what you could no. do. The one thing that we don't want anyone to tell us about is make lemonade. And by the way, you know the main reason I don't want anyone to tell us how to make lemonade? is because lemonade, and correct me if I am wrong, lemonade is full of sugar. It's flavoured sugar. So uh, I would also prefer any recipes that don't involve an enormous amount of sugar. Before we get into the main podcast, I just want to say, uh, I, I want to let you know about this Fox Nation documentary on Hunter Biden. It's it's very, very, very good. They've done a lot of research. It's a very dramatic story, as our we know. Our own director of our movie, uh, Robert Davi, appears. Yes, Robert Davi is in the, the documentary. It's uh, it's on it's it's on Fox Nation. It's a multi part documentary. It's 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 jaw dropping, and this is why we are making the My Son Hunter movie because the Hunter Biden story is a jaw dropping story of privilege, a jaw dropping story of corruption. And one of the amazing things is a lot of people, you know, and we're highly recommending the documentary. However, a lot of people won't watch documentaries. Yes. People watch movies, and movies uh, are a much more powerful way to get in touch with a much much larger audience. And that's why we have made this movie, which is very entertaining but very educational and, and it will and, and we're currently editing it and it's looking great it looks and amazing it's going to be an amazing show so as you know it was crowdfunded by people like you by all our listeners so please we need we always need uh, more money to, to finish it to, to buy archive to buy music to buy just to make it perfect and to make it pop and to attract an independent audience who may not 
won't be interested in politics or but be interested partisan. In but this is this is a great movie. This is a great story. So um, go and you can go and you can help by going to mysonhunter.com. Yes. And give what you can. We yeah. really appreciate it. So it's mysonhunter.com. Please, thank you very much, and let's get on with the show. Okay, Phil, tell us about this. So Joe Rogan has been and you know has been in the news like everywhere, and so is Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. Uh, the difference, you all know the difference between us and them. They want Joe Rogan banned. They want oh, Joe they, Rogan. Okay. They want Joe Rogan deplatformed. Yes. And they want Whippy Goldberg given a pass. Uh, we, I, I have to say, I could, I don't, I can't think of anything I agree with Whippy Goldberg on. Uh huh. Um. Even you know we're always very skeptical of these claims of sexual assault, but even when she was skeptical, remember she did the Roman oh, Polanski. Yeah. It's, it's not, not rape, 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 and it's like yes, it was, yes, it was. Like this is actually one case where the guy pled guilty. Um, you know, uh, so even in topics that I we hold uh, unorthodox views or views that may differ from the crowd, and Whoopi holds on, we're a million miles apart. But I do listen. You cannot. But you cannot have a program called The View <laughs> and have someone give their view yes. on a program yes. called The View yes. and then suspend them or fire them for having a view on the program called The View because then you won't have any views. Uh, and, you know, and then you'll have a terrible program and you'll have no discourse and discourse will go elsewhere. It's really weird that people don't see the connection with Joe Rogan. Look, in fact, Joe Rogan, you have to actively seek Joe Rogan out to watch him. Yeah. Whippy Goldberg is on, as you, as you know well. well can I just tell my, I have a small view problem, a view, view story. Um, and I'm probably, I've probably kind of ruined it by doing it, by, by explaining no, well. like this. But basically, some of you might know that I have um, an eye condition called non-age related macular degeneration. Very important to me, by the way, that we hold on to the non-age related part of that. Mm. So non-age related macular degeneration, not good. In one eye, my father had something very similar. So look at that. And, I get an injection into my eyeball very regularly in order to treat this. And I go to this eye guy up in Beverly Hills. And funny enough, the getting the injection into my eyeball is actually not the worst part of getting the injection into my eyeball. And even, you know, driving up there and worrying and then sitting in the waiting room with all the people who, are, who have age-related macular degeneration because everyone else other than me has age-related macular degeneration. And then I'm this little spring chicken in there feeling like I shouldn't be there, but facing my own mortality. And none of that is as bad as the fact that when I am sitting there, I have to watch The View. And I have to In the waiting room. In the waiting room. I've actually thought of writing a complaint and saying, could you just not have The View on when I'm there? Because it's like... Every other aspect of this fairly awful thing that I have to do, I can deal with, except for the fact um, that going in there involves watching the view. We've had this conversation before. And what's the answer? No, the, you, you was it this doctor that you God, had? I hope you I'm ended not being up repetitive film. No, no, that you, you ended up uh, in a political, a rather heated political conversation. Was oh, this doctor with? Well, myself and this doctor have sort of gone there, let's say, and I. I suddenly realised I really don't want yes. to fall out with my eye doctor over no, COVID. Yes. Over COVID. I can't... No, no, you know, no. I it was something else, though. No, it was something else. And you, no, and, it was and, COVID. And then you... you and he's sitting there with, an, with a needle about, about to inject your eye. Eyeball. And, and, 
Hey, ball, and and does Anne back down? Does Anne go? You know what? On reflection, you make you, a, you make a very valid point. No, and I remember Anne came back and had lunch with a, with a bunch of conservatives here in LA, uh, principal conservatives who believe in freedom of speech and uh, don't believe in censorship. And everyone told them that the best thing for you to do then was to shut up and agree with the guy yes. who's holding a large <laughs> yes. needle and about to put yes. it into your eyeball. Yes, no, no. In fairness, in fairness, I've, I've I'm, I'm I'm very well behaved with that particular doctor because um yeah because he is wheeled. The scalpel. So th- that is that is one place where the view your view is not. So I don't want to have to ch- find another doctor. And yes. yeah, but 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 I think he just had a little bit of COVID madness, and I think he's over it now. Okay. But uh, but I will see, and I will report on that. Um, so this is very interesting, and I think most of you are aware, and you'll probably notice this. No matter where you go and what you do, and you turn on the TV or turn on the radio, there's an abortion. Walk on the street. Planned Parenthood are panicking. Um, they are very, very nervous about what's going to happen in, in Supreme Court in June. I think it's going to be May or June. Yeah. Um, and we're going to have a lot more to say about that, by the way. But here's what Planned Parenthood are saying. So two movies um, premiered at Sundance, pro-abortion movies, called... One of them is a HBO documentary called The Janes, and the other is a movie called Call Jane, starring Elizabeth mm. Banks and Sigourney Weaver, about the Jane Collective. So the Jane Collective were a group of women, and men, by the way, but uh, uh, who were providing illegal or grey area abortions before Roe versus Wade, and they were based in Chicago. And uh, you know, it's about so these movies, the Janes, and a, a documentary, the Janes, and a movie called Call Jane, uh, have premiered. And you know, they're all about these plucky women who faced pr- imprisonment by a cruel, unjust uh, system. And I, I suppose there'll be women who died following backstreet abortions and who were mutilated by backstreet abortions and how that spurred them into action. However, I imagine that both the documentary and the movie uh, uh, about the the Jane Collective will brush over or ignore one rather famous uh, aspect of the Jane Collective, which we know quite well, actually. Indeed. So... uh, the Jane Collective were doing going to do a bunch of abortions for women uh, in Chicago on Mother's Day. I think it was 1973. Mother's Day, isn't that cute? And the authorities in Chicago found out about it, so they were concerned about that. So they arranged uh, for the women to be bussed to Philadelphia to the clinic of a certain Kermit, Kermit Gosnell, who we've written a book about, made a uh, film about. So they bust these women to his clinic. And th- the method of abortion that they were going to use was was this new type of abortion. It Invented by a guy called Harvey Carman, who had whose a, qualifications, by the way, Harvey Carman's qualifications were that he had a master's in theatre studies. Theatre studies, yeah. But he was, he was, he was a famous uh, abortion... Advocate. And activist. Pro- and provider. And provider. And he had this thing of... He designed this thing. Of a super coil, which would go inside the women's uteruses to to dismember the babies inside. And it would expand with the heat. Basically, it mutilated many, many women. And by the way, it's not as if this was a, a technology that was used and well-researched. And in fact, it, as I tell about this coil, it just sounds horrific. But even the abortion movement at that time felt it was horrific. So we had this bizarre situation where these women were bussed to Kermit Gosnell's clinic and were being the abortions were about to be performed. Local uh, local pro-abortion activists picketed and protested 
his clinic to try and stop the abortions. And they were right, by the way. Many, many of the women were mutilated. Some had their had their uteruses removed. Some of them had to go on, undergo emergency surgery. Uh, the, there was a massive investigation into it. Uh, but so this is the mutilation of women, and this is a mutilation of women that, that that even abortion activists knew would would happen. But they went ahead anyway because they wanted to. They they used these women to make a political point. Mm-hmm. And also, they filmed it for a TV documentary without the women's consent. That was yeah. another thing. So these women, they didn't care about these women. They didn't care about their lives. They didn't It'll care. be so interesting to see if the HBO documentary covers this. Yes, it will, um, won't it? I, I, you know, I think it's interesting that obviously the HBO documentary did uh, premiere at Sundance. No one mentioned the Kermit-Gosnell connection, so I would go out on a limb here and say that they might have just brushed over that. Yes. But but, but what, what, we're, what we're looking at here is, is Planned Parenthood panicking. It may overturn Roe versus Wade. And the, and the decision will be will be declared or will be broadcast, um, published uh, in May or June. Uh, yes. May or June coming up now. So you so there's this m- massive massive ramping up on behalf of Planned Parenthood to influence that decision. As I said, two films that um, pro abortion films that um, premiered at Sundance and now Planned Parenthood have an art installation coming your way. Yeah, have a listen. Have a listen to this little little piece from them. Well, I went down to the Supreme Court and I took back what they stole from me. The Supreme Court has left us in the dark. Planned Parenthood is going cross-country to shine a light on our rights. And they're going to raise a ton of money to send this art installation around the country. And I just have to read this because I just think you can't make this stuff up. I'm taking this from Planned Parenthood's own sort of press release. Alicia Eggert, who Alicia. is the artist behind this, is, a, is um, 1981, she, he. No, she, her. She, her. Sorry, she, her. Sorry, yeah. Uh-huh. Is an inter- you, oh my God, you've just... She, her. You've just missed her pronoun. I, is an interdisciplinary... I'm going to call for Anne McHenley to be banned from this podcast. Suspended for two weeks. Uh... I'm only getting on going on her. Give me a moment here. Is an inter- interdisciplinary artist whose work gives material form to language and time. Those powerful but invisible forces that shape our perception of reality. She has made, she has made flashing neon signs that illuminate the way light travels across space-time, billboards that allow forever to appear and disappear in the fog, and signs that reveal the relationship between reality and possibility. Mm. Do you know what she doesn't do, though? She doesn't show what an abortion actually looks like. I think it's kind of interesting, and I think it's a dilemma. Wouldn't that help? Wouldn't that help you show, reveal the relationship between reality and possibility? Isn't it interesting, though? And I always think it's very fun. It's very kind of funny, actually, because Planned Parenthood have this art installation, and I'm thinking the big dilemma with Planned Parenthood having an art installation is the last thing that they could ever depict would be abortion or the realities of abortion. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and obviously, by the way, pro-lifers, people who are anti-abortion, are also pushing out plenty of material. Look at this little video, and I hope we can... I, I know, I know that the quality may not be brilliant here, but LifeSite um, put this out the other day, and it's a baby in the womb doing all kinds of flips. And I just think it's an absolutely fabulous little video. Just look at that video. It's playing over my, over my voice now. I mean, just really beautiful, beautiful video. The pro-life people, pro-anti-abortion people have so much more options when it comes to art. Yeah. Because 
Uh, all the beauty is on our side. Yeah, so, but but we don't do art, so but, we need to do but art. Alicia, anyway, so, Alicia I, is currently an associate professor of studio art at the University of North Texas. But but can, I'm, I'm. Can I just say something to, to people out there? Look, you know, there's plenty of people who can write letters and take political action. But think about doing art. Think about drawing paintings. Think about Instagram. Everyone's on Instagram nowadays. Think of pr- creating art for Instagram or art for Pinterest or art for Etsy. Um, there you go, Etsy. You know, uh, I, people w- would buy cute uh, pro pro life uh, life affirming art. So I, I want to, you know, so so the so the art installation that Planned Parenthood have come up with is called Ours. Um, and here's what she says about it. You know, nothing grabs our attention like a flashing neon sign. I, I disagree with her, by the way. The constant rhythmic flashing serves both to beckon people and also to warn them. Light is a universal symbol of hope. I think babies are a universal symbol of hope, by the way, actually. Yes. <laughs> um, and when it comes to abortion access, this particular moment in time seems pretty dark and uncertain. I, I, I'll tell you, I know f- plenty about darkness, um, having written with Phelan the book about Gosnell. I'll tell you, you want to you you have a journey into the heart of darkness, read, read our book about Gosnell. Um, but here's what Alicia says. But we have to remember that light takes time to travel across space. And so that by the time it reaches our eyes, everything we are seeing is technically already in the past and if we are if we all if and if all the light we see is from the past then hope for a brighter future depends first on our ability to imagine it la da 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 we have to do everything we can to make that vision a reality basically blah I'm not sure what she's saying there but she's not saying anything about babies right but here's what I love that she says. This is more about what she says about her art installation, which mm. I think is not really an art installation. This doesn't this strike flashing, me as, as an art installation. This flashing though. neon sign cycles endlessly through the statements, our bodies, our futures, our abortions. The constant interchangeability of those three statements serves to highlight their inseparability. How a person's control over their own body determines how much control they have over their future. And how access to abortions is an essential part of that control. We hope to eliminate the importance of abortion access at a critical time in history. Um, you know... What about, the, what, what, about, the, what, about the, what about the body of the baby? What about that baby's well, actually, uh, future? Also, much of the neon science is our babies, our futures. Yeah. <laughs> our babies, our futures. Well, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. That's a, to me, that, that's, that's more artistic, that's more hopeful. Anyway, just to, just to give you an idea of how much money is being raised by Planned Parenthood to try and make sure that their industry is safe. And this is, not, this is, this is their political action. This is not... No, there's, no, there's two. So, so Planned Parenthood themselves um, are in 2020 raised 510 million. 510 million. And I think what's really interesting to me is that's more money than when raised for leukemia. It's more money that was raised for the American Heart Foundation. It's more money than was raised for UNICEF. And St. Jude's. No. You know, um, and St. Jude's, etc. Um, their action fund, by the way, so their action fund, um, which is their political arm, the last filing they had was from 2019. I can tell you, I am sure it's a lot more now, but they're basically, they have an annual budget of 36 million. And I just looked at their 990 and I'm putting it up on the screen here because it's quite interesting. So two companies in DC, two um, consulting, Lob- lobbying companies get, one of them gets 23 million year, a year from Planned Parenthood Action and the other one gets just short of 7 million for for their advocacy, for their, for the, for the lobbying. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. And then look at this chart I put up here. The top, in 2021, the top 
10 donor-supported causes. And it's just amazing to me that Planned Parenthood, you know, is in there with the Red Cross, just marginally lower than the Red Cross. Yeah. You know, extraordinary. In there with leukaemia, you know. Um, kind of extraordinary. But, yeah. That's, and well, then, uh, yeah, but just watch, this, watch this space. Watch this space because, yes. But, but don't have, just watch this space. Create your own art. We're hopefully going to create some uh, interesting space on in this project in yeah, this we're area going to involve, we're going to uh, drop a little piece of art into this space into because this space very I, think soon. It's, I think it i think it's um i think it's very very important that people understand what is being argued in yeah. the supreme court and what abortion really is i think it's the one thing funny enough like it sounds funny but it's the one thing planned parenthood don't want to talk about they w- don't want to talk about abortion. It's, it's the one thing they don't want to talk I mean, about. And, and I know you talk about them being scared about doing this to preserve their business. It's it's very interesting. That, that may sound like a talking point, right? But actually, speaking to David Delayden, uh, who's who knows more about the, he's the person who did the undercover Planned Parenthood videos about them selling body parts. He he made the point, and he knows them really well. Yes, that they, they but they one of the things they've done is they've. They're a behemoth who's closed down mom and pop, and I'm using air quotes here, mom and pop abortion providers. So they've wiped out, and that was one of the reasons, by the way, why Gosnell, uh, he said, you know, he was suffering so much, was, and he had offered really cheap, and why it was, it was because he could not compete with this multinational Planned Parenthood uh, organization, this Walmart uh, abortion provider. And uh, uh, he... They, they, they become so big now they have these massive fixed costs as these big organizations do and closing texas and closing arkansas has put a huge hole in their revenues and closing 10 or 20 states which will way, happen after if if roe versus wade is overturned this will mean they will go bankrupt but it's also interesting i mean as i said i just spent the weekend looking over their 990s and um just to realize kind of the kind of money people the 990 earn, is is a is a document that all not-for-profits have to file and it contains very often very interesting financial information it'll tell you how much people how much people are paid and so basically um the last 990 that i could find for planned parenthood was the one that involved cecile richards who used to be the par- the president of, of Planned Parenthood, she earned basically a million dollars, just short of a million dollars. It was that president who, who lasted about three weeks, remember and her? Then there was, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but she, she, she made the mistake of uh, believing the propaganda and saying, you know what, we should, actually, that was a funny thing. Is she, she says, we need to stop raising money for political causes. Uh, we need to focus on abortion and health care. Yeah. Right, yeah. and they were going, no, 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 no. That's we're, not we're, what we're about. We're all about abortion. Like we don't care about women's health care. So she she was fired, uh, very unceremoniously. So that's what they're protecting. Um, let's actually we're going to go now to the John Andrasic interview that you recorded earlier. He did the song for uh, talking of abortion. Did the song for our Gosnell movie, beautiful song. Uh, let's go over that interview now. So. We are very, very happy to be joined now by our friend, John Andrasik, who a lot of people would know better as Five for Fighting, an American singer, songwriter, probably best known for his hit Superman, which became the anthem for 9-11. We obviously uh, know John for another reason. John, thanks so much for being on the podcast. And it's great to see you. It's great to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, I want to start before we get to um, the recent hit that you've written, Blood on My Hands. Um, I want to I want to remind people and and just remind you um, of when we first met. Um, And I was thinking about this over the weekend. I think it was at Kevin Sorbo's house. Is that right? 
It was it was Westlake Village, uh, kind of down the street from us. And uh, no, I remember that that day well. We we shared some words about our friend Andrew Breitbart. Correct. And That's right. Other folks, and I yeah. know Kevin's off to Florida and living the happy Florida life right now. Yeah. So uh, it's like it's, everyone's uh, leaving. And I just I remember, remember I remember that day so well because somebody had said to me, I think Kevin Sorbo probably said to me, you know, that's John Andrasik over there. And I was like, oh, my God. And okay. and then you and I bonded over our friendship with with Andrew, who had wasn't dead very long at that point. And I yeah. do remember then you said to me, um, well, tell me about you. What do you do? And I and I said, well, you know, we're writing this book about this abortion doctor and we're going to make a movie. And you said, I want to write a song for you. And I remember thinking, and I think I said to you at the time, <clears throat> and I, I have such a memory of this, I said to you, I don't think we can afford you. And you said, <laughs> it's not all about money. And, and, and we did work together and you did write an extraordinary song for us, which we are so grateful for. Well, I was just inspired to see, you know, I, a song takes a little while to write and record, but to make a movie is <laughs> years in the making you know, passion, blood, sweat, you know, and to watch you guys, you know, not just Gosnell, but the other projects you work on are so important, so critical, especially in this time where there tends to be just one viewpoint out there and views are being suppressed. So uh, I was so excited to be at that premiere <laughs> with, with you and everybody and Dean Kane and, you know, hundreds of people to see to see you realize your vision and in, what a fantastic movie. I still get emails and uh, people talk about your film and the song and a credit to you. Oh, and, thank you. And, and everybody who was part of Gosnell. Yeah, no, it was it was great. And I do remember that night at the premiere. It was so great that you were there and you got to meet Jim Wood, uh, the yeah. detective at the very center of the story. Yes. Um, so it was it was everything about that was great. And we're going to play. We'll just play a little bit of that song now to remind people. Um, let's just listen to that now. Who is that calling out? Who's that crying? Do you wonder? Where do the goodness go? Do angels know? Mother, father, I have no gun, sweet guardian, where should I go, where should I go? John, you have recently written a song that has created a lot of controversy um, at YouTube, let's say. Um, you wrote a song called Blood on My Hands about the extraordinary disaster of the withdrawal from Kabul, which, I mean, when that happened, I remember watching it in real time, like so many people and thinking, this is like the biggest thing that's, you know, that's one of the biggest things that's ever happened in history and to watch the tragedy unfold. And, it, and you were inspired as an artist 
to write a song. Tell, tell, us, tell us what happened. I was uh, one of one of all of us watching the babies being handed over walls and people falling from planes and our soldiers being blown up and Afghans being blown up by ISIS bombers. And, you know, and it kind of, it kind of reminded me a little bit of 9-11, you know, that kind of just stunned silence of, you know, when people were falling from buildings, you just can't believe it. It seems like an alternative universe. And I, I had no intention of writing a song. I'm not a person who writes political songs. I mean, I think you can maybe see my worldview in some of my music, but, but um, I tend to be fairly independent guy. I'm not a, a kind of flamethrower from either side. Um, but it was personal with me because when our, uh, when our last soldier left, I got a, a phone call from a friend of mine, this woman who'd done incredible work in Africa, just a, a a mentor of mine, a hero of mine. And she said, I need a contact. And I said, why? And there was a pause on the line. And she finally said, well, I'm organizing evacuations of our citizens from Afghanistan. And I see you shaking your head. And it was the same for me. I, I couldn't believe it. And I, I finally said, wait, so you're telling me you're risking your life to go rescue the people we left behind. And she said, yes. Um, who nobody else will do it. So that night I kind of went to my computer and I, you know, I, and, and I started writing a few words and then I sat at the piano, just banging more as a cathartic exercise than anything. Yeah, had no yeah. attention of writing a song. Um, but the song really kind of came to fruition after the president gave his extraordinary success speech, you know, because that scared me, you know, it scared me. I'm like, okay, if we're this kind of Orwellian to come out and say, Hey, we did a great job. Uh, everything went according to plan that really scared me not just for afghanistan but for the future of the country and i think we're seeing that as we speak and even then i still had some hope because you know you know that i've spent you know decades performing for our troops i love our troops i hold our troops in great esteem and i i was hoping that general milley and general austin would come out and clarify mm -hmm. that extraordinary success because i've always felt our generals to be men of honor we have presidents who do crazy things. Uh, this president does crazy things. The last president did crazy things. But I've always expected if it got really bad that the adults in the room, our military would give us the straight scoop and they did not. They parroted the same political narrative. I realized right then it had nothing to do with the military strategy, with the humanitarian strategy. It was a pure political narrative that they were parroting. And the song finished itself that night. I recorded the next day. I asked my daughter if it was okay to put it out because I didn't want her to get a little flashback at college. She said, Daddy, go for it. And uh, we released it. And, and here we are five months later. I just am so grateful that you did this. I mean, I, I, I as you said, we were, it was, it was, it was a 9-11 moment. It was definitely a 9-11 moment. And still, the, I'm still haunted by those pictures of, and of those pictures of the people, you know, people who would, People would hand their baby like that. The handing the babies over like is just beyond. It's like it's just you know that you would that you are so desperate that you're going to hand your baby over to complete strangers because you know the other fate is much much worse. And other and the other one was the awful picture, and we'll put those pictures up as we're as I'm talking here of the young young man who who clung to the bottom of the plane and then dropped and and more than one of them who dropped from the sky. Just extraordinary. Um, and then you created a video and you put your film up on YouTube. And what happened then, John? <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, you know, 
when the song first came out, I really didn't know what to expect. I, I again, it was more just a, a scream of, of mine, you know, artistically. But I, I started getting a ton of emails from veterans, thousands actually. And uh, they were all basically saying the th same thing, like, thanks for saying what we're feeling. Because they were so outraged. They were ashamed. They were angry. They were frustrated. Uh, you know, I'm sure you're aware and you've probably talked about how the suicide hotline for veterans skyrocketed and is still the PTSD is not is unending because there's been no accountability. Mm -hmm. So when I started playing live, I would see in their faces, their pain and their shame. So I felt just a calling to make a video uh, to at least have one artistic statement of this time. I mean, you know, and you know, you're, you're an artist, you're a filmmaker. It's like, what do artists do? They write about the world around them. And then in 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we can go back in time and look at the artistic pieces and get a sense of the times in a way that talking heads can't. Mm -hmm. You know, the 60s, of course, is the, is the great example of the protest song, you know, Creedence, Dylan, you know, Joni Mitchell, you, Marvin Gaye, you listen to those songs, you have a sense of the time in a way that, that other mediums don't. And I kept waiting for other songwriters to write some songs that claim to care about human rights, women's rights, gay rights, go down the list. It was crickets. So I'm like, I want to at least make one video. So I did, and, and I wanted to be fair. I didn't want to make a gratuitous video. I had no intention of making videos of, of President Biden falling down the stairs or even looking at his watch. I wanted to do a straight, honest piece because I've said this before and you know me, mm -hmm. I would have written the same song if Donald Trump were president and we were in this position. Yes. Only the names would have changed and I probably would be on, on the, you know, have a guest seat on The View permanently. <laughs> um, uh, but that's the, that's the way it is. But I, I don't really care about who it is. It's about what it is. So I made this video and the, the prologue is, as you said, it's just clips um, with some music. It's not me on a soapbox. It's here's clips of what happened. The, the performance piece is me singing in front of the White House with actual atrocity clips. And the last, the epilogue is not me. It's, it's former President Saleh, because um, I wanted the last word to be from an Afghan, not some songwriter. So I tried to be very fair. It took two months to do. It was really hard to make. It's hard to look at every day. But we finally did it and we put it out. And as you mentioned, um, initially, YouTube uh, posted the video. They not only posted the video, they put on a child restriction warning that accompanied my warning. And I'm like, oh, this is good. I appreciate that. It should have a warning. Uh, children should not look at this without parents. And all was well. Um, and the song started to gain traction. And for whatever reason, 10 days later, YouTube decided that, oh, this is not appropriate. And they took it down uh, without asking me, without sending a letter, without any comment. Uh, and then, you know, frankly, without the outrage of folks like you and other folks um, who kind of raised the ruckus, they initially said they made a mistake, apologized, put it back up. But of course, there were dozens of other videos that had much worse atrocities than mine that, that are still up with no warning that they monetize. So it's just another example that we see. I mean, look, you've lived it for 20 years. <laughs> you know, you've, you've lived kind of the, um, the backlash of creating content that big tech and people in the media don't want people to see. So I got my little taste of it and whatever, you know, they put it back, but uh, 
you know, it's just another example of the culture and, and it should be chilling to people. It is chilling. Yeah, it is chilling. And of course, we, we're obviously now recording this interview in the light of Joe Rogan and all of all of that's happening there. Yeah. It is chilling. You know, um, these are the time and it's frightening and it's not American and it's not America. And, you know, what happened, whatever happened to free speech. So what's happening now? I mean, you are I mean, I know that you're traveling all over the country. You're getting invited to places and you're I mean, you're meeting veterans everywhere. What, what's it been like this last these last months? It's been exhausting, but it's also been fulfilling. And, you know, there's certainly a lot of things that depress you. Um, you know, I, you know, the thing that actually really made me um, the most depressed from the YouTube debacle was not YouTube. It was the response. The reality was I got more inquiries from Russia propaganda outlets than I did from the mainstream media, music media, the Rolling Stones of the world to talk about free expression. It wasn't even about my song. You can like me, you can hate me, you could like the song, you, but it was about free expression. And the fact that I got zero inquiries from the media to talk about that, that really was telling. And frankly, my support from my colleagues in the music business, I had one person speak after me, that was John Rich. Not even country artists were saying, you know, country artists who tend to be patriotic and on the right side of the aisle, they're like, oh, it's too controversial. So that also was very chilling to me that, yeah. that shows that the, the country's so tribal, it's so beaten down, people are so afraid, that really scared me. Um, so that was, that was tough. But on the other side, I'll tell you, I've been incredibly inspired. Um, I've been embedded with many of these organizations that are doing the uh, evac operations. I just had a call the other day. You know, that's the one story that nobody's talking about, that it is the shining light. Those people who, who, who those people represent America. Yeah. And they give me hope every day because they're going to be here after this administration's gone. Um, I started a series called Meet the Heroes where I interview these folks because I want America to see their faces, to feel pride that, hey, we didn't all abandon these people, that there's people right now going around the State Department, going through the State Department to keep the promise and rescuing people every day. So it's, to me, that keeps me going, that keeps me energized. And I'm actually gonna be dropping another Meet the Heroes this week with a guy, Mike Brewer, who's literally got a plane going out this week. Um, I got more you know, incredible stories to come. We're doing more videos. We're, we may even have a, a concert for Afghanistan this summer. So again, this, is, this isn't going away. Um, Afghanistan will not go away as much as the media wants to push it under the, the sheets. We see every day, you know, you know, stories, articles, and the humanitarian crisis will not let it go away, you know? Yeah. So there's still a lot of work to do. A lot of it is sad, but a lot of it is also incredibly inspiring. And how many, I mean, how bad, I mean, how many people are still left behind at this point? Depends who you talk to, uh, you know, certainly the Americans, it's in the hundreds still, you know, the problem is, is the State Department has made it very hard to get families out. Mike Brewer on my, on my Meet the Heroes episode talks about a situation he had where there is a, uh, an American citizen father in Afghanistan, in Kabul, and he had nine family members with him. And they said, you can take out four. <laughs> Imagine that situation where you have to decide which four of your family survive. So he picked his wife and his daughters um, and some that got left behind have been killed by the Taliban. So, you know, it happens every day. If you talk about the special operators, which is the critical one, 
The real critical one are these Afghan commandos that we trained, that we equip, that know the layout of the land, that have one of two choices. Either we get them out or they flip and join the Taliban <sighs> or they're killed. So the fact that the administration, you know, they've, they've created this moral scar, this open, actually it's an open wound. They've created this humanitarian scar, but the national security crisis that, that they've ignored about these 20,000 soldiers, that if we don't get them out, we're gonna be fighting them and they're gonna be killing our, our children. The fact that that is not even being addressed is incredibly shameful and dangerous. So, and then forget about it. You talk about the interpreters, the SIV holders, yes. P1, P2s, people that we promised. We said, we promise we will help you. If things go wrong, we'll get you out. Those are in this, you know, close to a hundred thousand. And then forget about everyone at risk, which is basically every woman, every gay person, every female judge, yeah. you know, that's in the, the tens of millions. So it, 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 it just goes on forever. It's just overwhelming. There's something, there's something so weird and so um, very hard to understand. I spoke to a friend of mine who was in the CIA and uh, I said, how, how is this possible? Uh, she's left the CIA now, but she used to be uh, with them. And she, I, I said, how is it possible that this was so badly done? How, how is it possible that, you know, I said, you get a high school student and you say, look, and we're, we're, we need to get out of there. We have all this equipment. We have all these people you know, a high school, a bright high school student could have organized it, you know, and she said, yeah, exactly. She said, this was intentional, um, that, that, that this was not an accident. There was a lot of time and nothing was done, you know, and we have now, bizarrely, we have um, equipped the, <laughs> the Taliban as the most well-equipped terrorist organization on the planet Earth, paid for by American taxpayers' money. It is, it is beyond bizarre. It is insanity. And frightening, and as you say, that those that army will will kill our children, our grandchildren, and all the people that matter to us. Yeah, well, because anybody you talk to who knows that we're going to have to go in, we're going to have to go back in. And again, intentional. I don't. I mean, nobody would want this on their legacy, right? I think. I think there were certainly some blind eyes. You know, you're right. A third grader playing risk says you don't abandon Bagram. You're basically air base where you could control the whole city through air power. The, you know, the mistakes, you know, you don't, you don't all of a sudden in a week go from, oh, everything's fine to we lost Kabul. You know, there's logistics, people saw it coming, people turned the other way. Um, so again, I, again, I think so much of it was political about we want to be out on the 20th anniversary of September 11th so we can make a speech. I don't think they thought that this, the, 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 the travesty of that withdrawal would happen the way it did. Um, but the fact, again, that nobody's been held accountable, it's unbelievable. nobody's quit, nobody's fired. You know, the people that were giving those reports saying, oh, yeah, it's three months. It's two. You know, we have you know, plenty of time. That is to me what's scary. You know, the people at the State Department, you know, it, people say, well, there's good people at the State Department that are trying to help. You know, what would really help if they resigned. <laughs> I'm not going to be part of this. Yeah. I'm going to go. And I'm going to tell you what happened. So even the people in the State Department that are supposedly doing the right thing, trying to help our heroes evacuating people, not one person has resigned. You know, with President Trump, how many generals resigned? A hundred? And everybody was like, hey, they're, they, they're, they're honorable people and, and that's what they should do. And, and I agreed with them. If you're a general and, and if you're General Milley and you say, we need to leave 2,500 troops there and we need to keep Bagram and President Biden says, no, they're out. You know what you do? You say, I'm out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Go mm -hmm. find someone who will On go principle. with you. 
Yeah, on, on principle. principle. Because, and you, yeah, because you know what yeah. the consequences are going to be. It's a thing called honor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so again, I, I, don't, I don't feel much sympathy for these folks. On the other hand, I think they're going to carry it to their grave because yeah. they know in their soul what they did. And, and for a soldier, that's hard to carry. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, uh, until there's accountability, I don't think anybody can close this circle. So you said when we were talking just before we started recording, uh, I think you're going on, you're going to be, where are you on, you're, where are you going to be in concert tomorrow? Where did you say you're going to oh, be? Oh, yeah, I'm heading out to do a keynote. I'm doing some normal things where I won't talk about Afghanistan or play Blood on My Hands, which actually is kind of nice. But yeah, we're going on tour this, uh, this spring with the String Quartet, um, which will be awesome. We haven't announced yet, but we're actually putting the rock band together for this oh, summer. Great. We'll be the first rock band tour and she's almost 10 years for. Oh, five my God. So because um, I was I, I was because I, I was just thinking for you <laughs> as a performer and I've, I've talked to a couple of other performers. I mean, it must be really it must have been so strange for a performer to not get to perform for like, I don't know, nearly two years. Right. How yeah. was that for you? So you were at home. Yeah. You know, I think it's like anything you, you don't realize what you got till it's gone right uh, yeah. you i missed it much more than i thought i would we did a tour uh end of last year we did 10 dates you know through kind of the the midwest and and uh the east coast and it was a you know some, some of my quartet were crying you know it, it was so emotional yeah. we didn't care if anybody was there <laughs> you know it's so funny how the pandemic has just changed your mindset about yeah. the world you know, I have a song called What Kind of World Do You Want? And I answer that question differently. And just to be playing with people and to have people there and to be sharing that experience. Um, you know, again, I, I, I just uh, I felt so blessed to be able to do it. And no, we're loading up on tour dates this year. Yes. <laughs> people want to see it. We want to be together. Um, you know, the shows. Um, my shows are very family friendly and and I will play blood on my hands in the concerts, but it'll be different. It'll be at the end. I always talk about it. I put it in yeah. context because yeah. yeah. I want feel the people to feel comfortable and understand it's not coming from a political space. And most people do. Yeah. Um, and and so, yeah, so it'll be it'll be great this this spring, this summer. And, and hopefully we don't have another variant that shuts us all down oh but, my uh, we'll, God. Just, we'll just we'll just roll with it I've don't mention you know, no john do not mention the v word <laughs> yeah <laughs> we we're not going to take it. it yeah we're done with variants at this point we have two last questions we ask everyone john yeah. at the end of our interview one of them is a piece of art it could be a music it could be um so a, a poem it could be a movie that's important to them and the second one is a recipe and it could be a cocktail that is your <laughs> that is your family favorite and that you're famous for so Take it away. God, there's so many influences, you know, for me, you know, one that that jumps out at me, which you, probably nobody could would ever guess um, that really kind of got my juices flowing for music. And it was a Broadway show. It was actually The Wiz. I saw the uh, original production of The Wiz at the Music Center in, in L.A. And I came out of that thing just flying. You know, and I went and saw it again and I got the songbook and I learned them all. It's funny, even when I went to uh, USC and I took a music theory class and everybody was bringing in Chopin and Mozart and Bach, I brought in the score of The Wiz. <laughs> and they, they thought I was weird. Yeah. And I'm like, and I am weird. And I did not get an A in that class. But, you know, that that to me, just the joy of music and expression that I came out of from that experience my daughter actually did the show in in summer camp and and it was just so wonderful to see 
you know, it brought it all back. So for me, that's a that's a fun one. If, if folks haven't heard the, the music to The Wiz, get the original cast recording. Okay. Um, don't get the movie one. Get the original cast recording because it is just so full of life and energy. Okay. Um, Cocktail wise, well, it's a little snobby. But, Go there. Uh, Go little, there. It's a little snobby. But um, if you happen to be in in Kona, Go to the uh, go to the Hawalalai Resort and go to the restaurant on top of the hill and go to the bar on a on a on an afternoon and ask for the five for fighting spicy margarita. Oh, and you will have the best jalapeno margarita you've ever had. You will sit there on the deck, look over the beautiful golf course and oceans of Kona and enjoy Jeff's incredible delectable, oh. important, <laughs> genius five for fighting jalapeno margarita. Oh, that is so interesting. And by <laughs> the way, when the pandemic started, I created a pandemic cocktail, which sounds very, very close. Ooh. Lots and lots of jalapenos, uh, muddled jalapeno, lots of lime juice, fresh lime juice, no simple syrup, nothing sweet, um, re shaken up um, with, as I said, very hot, really nice so i think we could have there could be a meeting here for cocktails i think soon we could do this the to happen. Next. yeah I, we, we could we, do it we could do it at your place in la and then we can go to hawaii and we can have the this oh the margarita jalapeno i have off. to do that i have I, i've been to a lot of states in america the one i haven't been to yet is hawaii this needs to happen john thank you so much for your time we really appreciate you um and you are a real friend we don't see you enough but I have such, it's one of those things when I met you that time and, you know, and you said, yeah, I'll write a song for you. And I kind of came away thinking he's a really nice guy, but you know, he, this won't happen. This doesn't happen. But you know, I love that thing that people say only in America and only in America and only with you. And it, it, it meant so much. And I remember sending you the rough cut. You said, send the rough cut. Cause I think I started texting you then a long time after that, when the film eventually was, was at that stage. And I sent you the rough cut. Um, and you you sent the song back in one week. I remember that you sent something back. It was it was it was even maybe less than a week, um, and it's a beautiful song. And as I said, we're going to listen to a little bit more of that at the end of the show. But thank you so much, John. Well, it inspired me, and again, it 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 the song kind of wrote itself. And again, I love you, and and I look forward to your next project. Thank you. And uh, it's uh it's just great to see you. Thanks so much, John. Okay, God bless. Right. Take care. Thank Safe you. travels. I have to say, I really regret missing that interview, but yeah. unfortunately, yeah. I wasn't available. It's, it's um, amazing. It's amazing. So, so you had another story, Phil, about... Yes, well... The New York, so the New York Times had two stories about climate change this weekend. Yes, yes. Um, it's one, you know, I caught my eye, you know, it's like one, how one ski town rallied in a warming wor world, right? Oh. So it's about the closure of a ski resort because of global warming. There's no snow then, Phil. Yeah, a community in Vermont took charge after the local hill closed. Um, and it's, a, you know, it's a... it's. It's a very good story when you think about it. Wow, climate change is going to kill all these ski towns. Not a good story, Phil. I'm a very sad story. No, actually. I'm speaking journalistically. Okay, right. it's How an does, interesting story from a journalistic uh, point yes. of view. Okay. Well, we, you know, we journalists. The consequences As I say, journalists change. are different. Uh, when, yes. when they hear gunshots, they run towards them. Yes, uh, okay. Uh, um, so when they see misery, they run towards we it. We need right? to explain that to the audience, though, Phil. And when you say the good story, I mean, obviously, this is a tragic thing to happen in this Vermont town. So the, yeah. what happened then? Well, climate change closed the uh, the ski resort, uh, you know, and uh, let me let me 
and it's even there's a subheading skiing in a warming world right and how, how are they going to cope Terrible. but let me let me give you the uh, you know Mount Ascutney, elevation 3,144 feet, Bravamont's most famous volcano, that has lured skiers for decades. Skiing began in Ascutney in the winter of 36 to 35. Um, the first skiers walked up, you know, and then moving on, new owners periodically came and went, and Ascutney remade itself as a destination resort, attracting tourists and second homeowners. But then... Uh, then we get to the key paragraph, right? Yeah. So, so the headline is the headline thing. is that it was closed due to global warming. A scrutiny resort was bedeviled by years of erratic snow levels. Oh, years of erratic snow levels. Yes. In the nineteen eighties, new ownership poured fifty five million into lifts. Now when you hear the word years of erratic snow levels, you think, oh, recent global warmings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But then you get this line. By 1991, the ski area was f- forced into liquidation. I'm thinking, okay, that doesn't sound... I thought it was all this global warming was relatively recently. And then you get the headline, skiing in a warming world. And you get the the, head, the opening line of the paragraph, climate change poses an existential threat to New England ski areas. Right. But not only that, then you see st- tucked away in the story, right, about the history of Mount Ascutney was, you know, the Mount a scrutiny ski area opened in 1946 with rope toes in a harbinger, harbinger, harbinger of the struggles to come. The ski area endured several poor winters and went bankrupt four years after opening. Oh, wow. Back in the 40s. I mean, yeah. yeah. Actually, 1950, it went, it went bankrupt. And then it went bankrupt again in 1991. And it's like, it's got nothing to do with climate change. It's just one of those places that has very poor snow. So there's snow. New York Times telling lies again. But it's yeah. not the only story this weekend, this last weekend. Well, they're both about, connected. About, New York, about, about, uh, about climate change. So this other article caught my eye, which I just thought, and as I said, we always read the New York Times, so you don't have to. Climate change enters the therapy room. And this is actually kind of funny, but it's also really sad. sad. I find this very sad. Ten years ago, psychologists proposed that a wide range of people would suffer anxiety and grief over climate. Um, And the story talks about a number of people. This is really sad. I I mean, bear with me, because it is unbelievable, this. It would hit Alina Black in the snack aisle at Trader Joe's. A wave of guilt and shame that made her skin crawl. Something as simple as nuts. They came wrapped in plastic, often in layers of it, that she imagined leaving her house and travelling to a landfill where it would remain through her lifetime and the lifetime of her children. She longed, really longed, to make less of a mark on the earth. But she had also had a baby in diapers and a full-time job and a five-year-old who wanted snacks. At the age of 37... These conflicting forces were closing in on her like a set of jaws. In the early morning hours after nursing the baby, she would slip down a rabbit hole, scrolling through news reports of droughts, fires, mass extinction. Then she would stare into the dark. I mean, this is really awful. I mean, by the way, by reason- the way, by the way, can I just say, like, it used to be people's ambition to leave a mark on the planet. <laughs> and, you know... Can I just ask that lady, what's her name again? Oh, uh, Alina, is it? Like, yeah, Alina. Alina, what's wrong with the plastic going to a landfill and staying there for a couple of generations? Well, she's been told, Phelan, that we're all going to suffocate in plastic, basically. Um, but, but the story goes on to say that Alina is not at all unusual and that, in fact, there is a whole generation of people who are completely paralysed. And there's now... Par- par- that are 
completely paralysed by anxiety and stress. Um, and in fact, there now is a group of scientists that are, there's a whole area of science called eco Eco-psychology. Well, I I don't want to criticize you, but I don't think, I think they're not scientists. You know, they're they're psychologists, they're they're psychologists perhaps perhaps, uh, making money. And that's Dr. Doherty up in Portland. He he calls himself an eco-psychologist. But basically what they're doing, what's happening is, I mean, it's obviously people are opportunistic and they're making a business out of this. But here's some of the people that are being treated. An 18-year-old student who sometimes experiences panic attacks so severe that she can't get out of bed. A 69-year-old glacier geologist who's sometimes overwhelmed with sadness when he looks at his grandchildren. A man in his 50s who erupts in frustration. I love this one, by the way. This is where the the humour comes in, by the way. A man in his 50s who erupts in frustration over his friend's consumption choices, unable to tolerate their chatter about vacations in Tuscany. As somebody who lived in Tuscany... uh, I wouldn't get on with that particular man. But, but I wonder how much of that is his inability to afford vacations well, in Tuscany. But, but the serious part of this, and I, 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 I don't want to dwell on this too much, but a recent, recent research has left little doubt about how bad this situation is. A 10-country survey of 10,000 people aged 16 to 25. By the way, I've been talking about this for years. You remember that feeling? Yes. When we went around, when I used to be speaking in, on college campuses, I used to meet this pessimism and depression and I thought you know this is a real problem so basically they did this survey and it was published last month in the Lancet that found startling rates of pessimism 45% of respondents said they worry about climate negatively affecting their daily life three quarters said they believe the future is frightening and 56% said humanity is doomed so well done, um, well done, Democrats. Um, well done, progressives. Progressives, by the way, progressives. Who are who should, I always said should be called re- regressives because there's nothing progressive about what they believe. By the way, well done, Boris Johnson too, and Carrie Johnson, uh, who, who who pushed this nonsense. So why wouldn't you believe it when conservatives such as Boris Johnson uh, believe it? Apparently. So uh, and talking of which, Kid Falcha, Ireland of the Welcomes. I can't believe it. This is a headline in in a in a newspaper called the Business Post. And it's, it's written... In uh, Ireland, so it's an Irish newspaper, yeah? It's written as if it's a good thing. Tourists to be, to be provided <coughs> with carbon calculators, right? So if you go as a tourist now in Ireland, you'll, you'll be given a carbon calculator and you'll be able to calculate the carbon footprint of your holiday there. What a complete downer. Like, yeah. by the way, is that, does that mean like if you have 14 pints of Guinness, right, the cost of transporting them and making them and all? I mean, it's what a, what a way to make sure that no one will enjoy their holiday in Ireland. Well done, Ireland, of the welcome. It's absolutely extraordinary. Unbelievable. So we went to see a movie yesterday, Anne. It's called American Underdog, oh, and yeah. it's with our friend Zach Levy, um, and, and it's also with Dennis Quaid and with Anna Paquin, and it tells the story of... Kurt Warner of the Rams. As yes. I think a lot of you out there who understand American uh, sports will understand exactly and know exactly who Kurt Warner was. We didn't. So we came to the film actually very, um, you know, very green. It's really, really wonderful. And it's a very family-friendly, fate-family, fate-friendly uh, film that we would highly recommend. Highly and recommend. it's available, by the way, I'm just going to say it's available, by the way, apparently on Row 8, Prime Video, Voodoo Movie and TV Store and Redbox. Yeah. And it's one of those kind of, it's one of those really good, feel-good, inspirational stories Under, this underdog story. this guy Kurt Warner who basically went from stacking shelves in, uh, in, a, supermarket. in, a, in a supermarket the most valuable player MVP in a Super Bowl final so um, and in the Hall of Fame the you know a quarterback in the Hall of Fame I mean uh, you know uh, 
don't if you're watching at home uh, it's slower at the start than once you get it, it takes a while to set up his character set up uh, the, the the female love interest and that and where he is but once it gets going boy it gets going so and it's a movie if, if again you, it's one of those movies by the Irwin brothers that yeah. you know that that have brought so many of those inspirational stories to yeah. the so as i say don't don't let the slow start put you off once you give it a chance and you will love it so we don't have a recipe this week but what we do have is a problem so um we have a lemon tree that is extremely productive and look at what we have just uh, um, had our, our bounty this weekend so please well, because we went in on because we had the gardener over to this to do a, trim, trim do a back trimming. yeah and, and he boy did he trim he did trim so now we have a lot of lemons so we want a quest we have a question and we don't want the answer cannot be lemonade um what to do with all of these lemons we would really love some recipe can, um, suggestions from yes. you of what to do with this many lemons because they're gorgeous so the smell is powerful so please and write we don't on, want to yeah we don't we don't want to you know we don't want them to go off as well and our neighbors have had enough lemons oh yeah we're giving the neighbors and we as we live in southern california a lot of the neighbors have lemons themselves yes so please go to the youtube uh uh, uh leave a comment there tell us what we should do with the, with the lemons or go to the podcast app and leave a comment there on the podcast app on your apple phone where you can listen where to you this. can also leave a, a review which would yes. be really really helpful for oh. us um, um, and the place you leave a review, just leave a comment about what we should do with the lemons. We really like more reviews on there on the podcast app because uh, that really will push our rankings up and get more people to listen to us. And just before we end the, this program, we just like to ask people, please, one simple thing you can do, by the way, to help us is that you could, when you're making purchases on Amazon, you could go to Smile Amazon, and we are we're there as a 501c3 Unreported Story Society. And some of you probably spend quite a lot of money on Amazon, and wouldn't it be very nice? don't you think to realize that some money that amazon would have to give us money uh, if you for you, a part of your purchases money would be given from amazon to us so please do that and we have some people who've been doing that in the area yes. and actually by the way quite a, you know it does it adds leave, up it does add up um and don't forget look at the context in which we're working here with what's happened to joe rogan which what happened to you know um go fund me by the way yeah. which what, what look what happened as well look at the amount of money the planned parenthood are collecting this arsenal that they're collecting in this war that we're in for life um, so please do uh, give what you can we'd really appreciate it and we'll see you next week bye bye we are the innocents we are the innocents the righteous unimpeachable we are the innocents we are the innocents and we Ah uh.